Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Expansive CEO Podcast on Investment Friday, as usual. Um, I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, and I am here again with uh, Brad Haynes, the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. You weren't here with us last time, Brad. So hi, how are you doing? Good. Doing well. Doing well. How are you? You're the one that canceled on me, though. So I just want to let listeners know that uh, Hannah has a busy life and sometimes that gets in the, that, yeah, there's, we have to alter schedules to make sure that all fits. Here's, here's the bus and you just push me right out into the road. Thanks. (laughs) Usually it's me that's canceling it. So every once in a while, it's nice to have Hannah. Hannah cancel it. Yes. Last week. uh, So last Thursday, um, January 25th was my son's 11th birthday, my son, Henry. So he turned 11, um, and he wanted a Lego architecture set. So if you, if you know anything about Lego architecture sets, they're the ones that have like so many pieces. Um, and he's been building Legos since he was a baby. Um, he's just, he has always loved Legos. My husband loves Legos. Lego, excuse me, my gosh, I'm saying it all wrong. Lego, no S. Um, but Adam, my husband, has always been, you know, loved loved to receive like awesome sets and the big, big complicated ones. And so Henry has been doing these really complicated Lego sets. I mean, gosh, since he was probably five or six. Um, so this Lego architecture set that he saw um, around Christmas time, he's like, oh my gosh, I want that. It's the, I might be pronouncing this wrong, the Haimeji Castle. Um, So it's a Japanese um, castle. And so it's a Lego architecture set representing that. Super cool. It has over 2,100 pieces. Oh my goodness. And this set, like it's huge. It's a huge set. And so he got to, we took him and he got to pick that out and he was so excited. Um, and then he spent about, you know, five or six days and he would come and he would do pieces of it at a time. And then, you know, so he spent time over the last week putting it together. So proud of himself. Um, he really like it's impressive. Um, so he had a great Did he complete it. Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. I I saw I noticed a couple of times here and there where he had maybe like like the book to put it together is like 50 pages long. And he had maybe like turned two pages at once. And so I was like, oh, wait, I don't see this little section done. And so he would have to go and fix it. But like 99% of it he did completely by himself, which is, yeah, it's it's really cool uh, to see him progress like that and have fun with it and then be proud of himself. And then he was like, send pictures to grandma and Uncle Taylor and all that. (laughs) So that's fantastic. Good for him. That is it's a big accomplishment. I mean, 2,100, I don't know too many adults that could do that. Right? Yeah. And I, for me, so little insight into my brain, I, when I get up onto a project like that, I'm like, I just want to finish it. And I'm like, keep going and keep going. And like everything else can just like go to the wayside while I work on this one thing. And for Henry, 
Instead, he was he would work on it for a good while. But then when he needed a break, he's like, okay, I'm done with that. You know, and he would do had like 17 bags, um, different bags for the Lego, and he would do one or two, and he'd be like, Cool, I'm I'm good, I'm done for now. And then he would go take breaks and so it just just interesting. But yes, that's why we didn't have an episode last week. And that's a great reason. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. So anyway, there's all of our personal (laughs) anecdotes (laughs) for this episode. Um, But Brad, so we had a Fed announcement this week that made the market very upset yesterday. Um, Again, we're recording on Thursday, February 1st uh, for release on Friday, February 2nd. And so the Fed announcement that was yesterday on January 31st, right? Is that correct? That's correct. Well, it was, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So the the market took a nosedive after that announcement to hold steady. And so we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Tell us why everyone was so upset about that for a hot minute. You know, um, we've mentioned this past couple of months. We've talked a little bit about how the bonds, you know, we hit the peak yields back in October. And then since that period, um, I mean, the markets really come almost very instantly, um, instantaneously priced in six Federal Reserve rate cuts in 2024. And they were expecting a start in March. And so six would mean between one and a quarter to one and a half percent lower on the federal funds rate. And so people were like, hey, they have to start cutting in March. And I had talked about that being a little bit optimistic. And there was really very little reason for the Fed to be forced into uh, lowering those interest rates earlier rather than waiting a little bit and seeing how this inflation um, continues to progress uh, throughout the year before they start to committing to cutting interest rates. Um, Once you start to cut interest rates, that is going to embed itself into the economy and into the expectation of the of the investor and of the business owner and of the manager. And so it's it's really important that they that they have they know that they have inflation under control prior to lowering those interest rates. Yeah. So yesterday when I mean, this is this is the end of January again. So, right. Even the being priced in, right? That's part of what we say. The market has already priced in that there will be six rate cuts in 2024. But the expectation was that they would start at least a little bit later. So it seemed interesting to me to look at the reaction of, wait, Jay Powell said they're holding steady right now. And so, you know, the market sheds you know, 135 basis points or one in 1.35% in some of the indices um, in, you know, the span of an hour type. Yeah. Thing, I was right? going to say it wasn't one day. It was really one hour when, when the, when the, when the announcement was, was let out and the market was doing kind of decently. Okay. Not great, but not, not poorly until that announcement came out. And then all of a sudden the market sell, sold off pretty heavily. Now, Today, we've made we made that up. Um, you know, the markets have kind of rallied throughout the day and gotten stronger um, as as the day progressed. And you know, now we're not if we're not break even, we're really close. 
Yeah. So what do you see? And we've we've talked about this a couple of times before. And one of the things you had said was, you know, that inflation, while it's coming down, it's still actually not at the quote unquote target that the Fed has. Um, there's still some room for inflation to come down a little bit more. Uh, what do you see as like, what do we need? What, what do, what does Jay Powell actually need to see before he's going to start truly cutting rates versus, you know, what the market wants, wants it to be, which is just cut the rates already. Yeah. I think that he's going to have to see the core, um, the core inflation rate X shelter come down to that 2%, that lower 2% range. Once it's there, if at mid to, to lower 2% range, he'll start to feel comfortable that inflation will continue down to around the 2% level and they'll start cutting rates. Um, there, there's a lot of different indicators that are telling us right now that because the shelter inflation component of CPI and PCE, which are the two really famous measures of inflation, um, both of them have a pretty heavy component to shelter inflation. And that shelter inflation really has very long lags on it and about nine to 12 month lags on it. And so what we see is the, the, the deflation we saw in rents and in house prices over the last year are going to start being embedded in those numbers uh, pretty quickly. And so we should continue to see a disinflation um, throughout the year. Um, and, and into the 2% range at the target range by the end of the year. But that means back that up because we think that's going to be by the end of the year, some point in the second half of the year, around the middle of the year, second half of the year, we're going to start to see the Fed cut rates, um, particularly if we have other risks that surface, um, which commercial real estate obviously is one of those. Uh, we have a massive amount that are underwater in terms of their market value to loan ratio. And so there's a lot of those loans that are coming, that are maturing, that need to be rewritten. And so a commercial mortgage is different than a, a consumer mortgage. So a, a commercial mortgage is written for a shorter period of time, five, seven years. Well, when those come due, there's a renegotiation. You have to reapply and reobtain that mortgage, which then extends for the next five to seven years. Well, the problem with that is, is when you, if you have a loan coming due now on an office building that may not have as many tenants as there as we want, because a lot of people are still working from home, then those loan to value ratios become a little out of whack. And so you have to either bring more money in and put more money as a down payment, or you have to sell the property um, to 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 someone else who can then, you know, you take a loss on that position, basically. You take a loss on that investment. Um, and that's kind of what we have right now in, with the regional banks is we have a lot of those those office buildings that are coming due and as they come due, it's going to force a decision on the bank's parts on what they're going to have to do. Are they going to extend those loans? Are they going to refinance those? 
are landlords and real estate owners going to put more capital in? At this point, we just don't know. Mm, yeah. So that was that's part of what we saw last. It's not the same, right? It's not the exact same as last year that we saw with like Silicon Valley Bank and some of those others um, that did go under kind of at the beginning. It's almost a year ago now, right? Yeah. Um, but we had been talking about and watching this commercial real estate, not a bubble necessarily, um, but that this this space of regional banks being one of the primary lenders for a lot of commercial real estate, correct? Yeah, about 80% of commercial real estate is financed at the regional bank level. And so much as, like you said, last year at this time, regional banks were under a lot of stress, um, deposits were leaving because now you could get much higher rates and money market funds and deposits are how regional banks finance their business. So that was a big risk. And at the same time, you had on your balance sheet all these bonds that you had purchased at lower yields. So now those are sitting at losses. So you have losses in your bond portfolio and and you also have losses uh, or, or pressure on deposits leaving, which means you have to shrink your balance sheet a little bit if you can't stem that flow out, that outflow. So, mm. and so when we're looking at regional banks right now, what do you see as a potential? Uh, what do I want to say? Like, if we're looking at recessionary measures or you know flags that might say, hey, there's there's you know some concern in this area what's happening right now for you in regional banks that you that you want to talk about? Yeah, so uh, I think everybody who has regional banks just needs to uh, reevaluate those positions, uh, make sure that the areas they are trading in um, or they're investing in with their loans, they have a they have a reasonable or a very tight credit quality on their commercial real estate loan loan portfolio. Um, you don't want a lot of office office exposure, meaning giving mortgages to office buildings. Um, you don't want a lot of those. In fact, New York New York Community Bank, uh, the symbols NY, NYCB, um, came out overnight last night and said, "Hey, we're going to have to cut our dividend. We're going to have to bol bolster our uh, loan loss reserves." We're going to have to just kind of batten down the hatch a little bit because we have some exposure to this commercial real estate that we're probably going to need to take some some write downs on. And so um, they were trying to to kind of get ahead of that a little bit. Now, they're an idiosyncratic issue because they also doubled in size in the last 14 months. So wow. they they are actually the ones who bought Signature Bank um, from the from the FDIC last year. And so they've had a lot of uh, organizational change in within one year. And and whenever anytime you double a bank within one year, that's going to be a real challenge. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with them. But uh, they were trading off uh, pretty significantly today uh, based on those announcements. Mm. Well, let's let's shift gears a little bit from that because 
you had mentioned before we started recording um, another statistic that was really interesting that I hadn't heard before um, relating to what a good month we had in January. And so January was positive overall for the market, right? And so what does that tend to mean for the rest of the year? It tends to mean we're going to have a great year. Um, if we have a positive January, generally, you know, eight, 80 to 90 percent of the time for the remaining part of the year, we have a we have a, a good return on equities. So essentially, if we have a good a good a good January, the rest of the year is going to be probably pretty good as well. Well, we had a good good January for for the U.S. market. So at the between now and the end of the year, we would expect it was it's going to be pretty good. Um, now you take that average, you take that um, historical statistic, and now you overlay it with we have the Fed that's probably going to start lowering interest rates here mid year. So that is very supportive of equity markets. You have a uh, slowing economic growth, slow slowing economy, but still pretty decent economic growth so far, okay? That also is very supportive. You have a pretty strong labor market with over 9 million jobs available for 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 US unemployed workers. That's pretty good. You have this is going to sound odd, but you have higher layoffs. That is actually helpful because it also helps other other companies get qualified employees, which right now they don't have. So it can be actually very productive for the economy overall, um, even if it's disruptive to those individual workers' lives a little bit. Um, so you have all of those things that are kind of working in the in the working for equity markets. Now it's not all it's not all roses. Uh, geopolitical risk, big deal this year. It's going to be one of the main topics, main risks that we need to really watch out for. The Russian-Ukraine war, uh, the war between Hamas and Israel, um, Iran and the various proxy battles it is fighting versus the United States and Israel. Um, you have China that is, is, is still very aggressive towards the Philippines and towards Taiwan. Uh, and you have North Korea, which is supporting all of those individuals. So again, it's it's geopolitics can be a big risk this year, um, and 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 and, uh, and also we have our political uh, process going into effect with the presidential campaign this year. That is going to be impactful, probably on a near term, short term. It's going to be it's going to affect the equity markets. But over the long period of time, probably not a not a big event. And so one of the things we were also looking at um, just the other day, right, was a was a graphic that was showing the averages, right, the average returns on the different, you know, half months, basically. So the first half of January versus the second half, first half Feb, second half February. Um, and so looking at that, if you would like, we can even pull it up. Um, yeah, if you have that one, up. I'll share so that people don't have to look at me. They can look at this. And I will allow you to share that. There we go. Um, 
yeah, so if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see what we're talking about. But this, it's actually um, January followed that trend pretty, pretty closely, actually, which is interesting. Yeah, so this is a, a piece by Goldman Sachs uh, Quantitative. They put together, they, they took the two-week periods throughout the year. Um, so they split each month into two, the, the first half and the second half. And then they analyzed how those two-week periods performed in every in every year since 1928. So these are averages. They're 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 not they're not telling you why. They're just telling you what they did. So you can see in the first half of January, it's one of the top one of the top periods for returns. And that makes sense because it's the January effect and 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 a couple of other things like that. Second half of January, again, really solid. First half of February, decent. Not terribly great, but decent return on average. Now, the second half of February is the worst two-week two period during the year on average. So now I know everybody's saying, well, what about September and all those? Those are the months. Those are typically the worst months. Um, but if you look at the, the worst two week period, it's, it's actually in February. And then obviously you have September that kind of comes into it as well. So, you know, I, I, as we talk about people who have been, um, staying out of the markets a little bit, deciding that they hadn't wanted to participate, um, as much as they, they have. So they have some excess cash. You know, money markets have been paying pretty nice rates over the past 12 months. Um, they may want to con consider getting involved, getting more involved, recommitting some of those that cash assets back into the equity markets or locking in some of those higher coupon quality bonds uh, longer term so that when interest rates go down, which again, really quickly affects money market rates you know as those money market rates start to come down um they their income isn't harmed right they've already locked in higher higher coupons on good quality investment grade bonds whether it's taxable or tax exempt bonds um you know that's a place to look and to lock in very very quickly um but in terms of equities it's typically now is the good time to invest uh, some friends of ours at T. Rowe Price. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna reshare. Um, they also took a look at the returns, the average returns for the peaking of interest rates and how that affects the returns from equities and fixed income. So you can see that uh, here's a year before. Okay, and you have, you know, the U.S. Treasury bills. You have the S and P 500 in the green. Uh, the purple is the Russell 1000 growth, so that's large cap growth. Your the red is uh, large cap value. The gold is small cap, and the kind of grayish blue is international developed or the MSCI EFA, which is essentially uh, international developed. But you can see the returns 
a year before the peak in interest rates. Okay, not bad. But as you get closer to the peak in interest rates, what happens? Six months before, all of a sudden, the int- these 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 returns become substantially higher. And what you'll you'll notice is value starts to have much greater impact. You know, three mm. months before the peak, your value is just crushing it. And, and so that's looking at looking at the chart itself. So when we're talking about crushing it, a year before the peak, value is at an average of 1.7% one year total return. When we move up to thir- three months before, that number has gone up to 18.5% on average. Right. So it's, it's huge. Um, and that has like far surpassed the growth index index, which had its peak earlier, right? The one year before growth was showing at around 9.6%. Yep. And now three months before it's down at 4.6% return. So value has overtaken growth significantly, um, in this spot. So, and, and if you roll that forward to investing at the peak, which we are currently at the peak, right? If, if they don't raise interest rates from here on out, the next move is down, which is what we all expect, then we are at peak, peak rates, which means what? The next year, you're, you're gonna, all of these bars are, are much higher than they have been in the prior, prior periods, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at large cap value doing 22.6% on average. You're looking at, you know, the S and P 500, which is very growth heavy right now, of 19. percent um, You're looking at small cap averaging just shy of 20. percent And you're looking at developed international at 12.2. percent So all all the assets, all the equity assets are going up, but the co- complexion of that growth is very different. It goes more value, goes more small cap. You know, the things that haven't done well, or more importantly, are more reliant upon lower financing costs, right? Mm -hmm. Value, small cap, very heavily dependent on the credit markets and bank financing. So those financings, as they become less expensive as interest rates drop, those assets start to appreciate pretty dramatically on a relative basis. Um, and then obviously after after they've started to lower interest rates, uh, you can see it's more moderate if you've if you've waited three to six months after they've started lowering interest rates, those returns are pretty subpar comparatively. So if we have cash on the sidelines, it's imperative for our clients to get back involved, to get involved, to get invested. Um, now to to transition to the fixed income markets, you can see it has a similar trend, but they jump up much earlier. So six months ahead of time, those returns start jumping up, right? Three months before and and peak, that's probably that's the that's the that's the most important place to invest. Um and and and, and so you're looking at let's say international or excuse me uh US investment grade corporate bonds you know you're going from 6 months before on average 8.1% to 3 months before it jumps to 12%. So a 50% 
increase in your return over the next year because you you're, you're investing pretty close to the peak. Um, and then it kind of trails down at the peak and then three months after and then six months after. So it's really important for investors to understand that interest rates declining are one of the very, very few times that it will lift all boats. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a trend. That's a wave that lifts all boats. Uh, and so that's really, really critical that if we have excess cash on the sidelines, which I know my clients do, I know our firm's clients have a few that have, have kind of, they've been real happy with putting 5%, you know, in money market. Let's, let's readdress that, you know, do we need to outside of emergency cash and, you know, and, and lifestyle income cash, really let's get that, let's get that back into work in the equities and the fixed income um, based on your risk tolerance, because this is really going to be an opportunity uh, to, to increase those assets. So the thing that I want to point out from a like financial planning and behavioral finance perspective with this is that uh, we have been, we're, we're not at a point where um, you, the, the euphemism that is fairly gory, right? It's like there's blood in the streets. We're not, we're not at a point like that, right? Where we're at the bottom of a recession or a bear market and like, oh, it feels really bad to invest in the market. Instead, we're kind of at, we're at a high point with a lot of the indices. A lot of the indices are pretty high. And even, even still from that, um, in February, if we're trending um, the way that we saw in that first graph, like if it's trending that it's going to be volatile um, and it, you know, sometimes that feels bad for a client, like, Oh, it, it feels bad. Why would I want to get into the market now? And then, you know, after we hit the peak, after we are at the peak now, um, the fed starts lowering interest rates, we'll start seeing things increase, right. Then that tends to be the point where, um, individual investors are like, oh, okay, now I, I see it's going up. I'm going to get in now. And right. the chart that you just showed us says that if you wait until, if you wait until they start lowering interest rates, you will have missed the window where you will have the greatest gain over the next year to the point where you're getting like a 10th or, you know, like very, very little compared to that big gain that you could have if you invest before right? Be on the leading edge of where the market is heading rather than waiting to see what's happening and then jumping in when the wave is already passed you by uh, for the most part. So that's the piece that I wanted to call out that that psychologically it can be sometimes hard to pull that trigger if you're on your own and you don't quite understand, you know, what forecasting looks like and, you know, what these, these, um, these circumstances that we're experiencing right now, what that means for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months down the road. Yeah. And I would also, um, you know, uh, the S&P 500 is is near its high. I, I would agree with that. Um, but there's a lot of other parts in the market that are not high. I mean, you still have small cap and value indices that are off, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25% off their highs. So That's they're true. still they're still on sale, right? 
And those are the areas that are probably going to rally the most with the lower interest rates that are coming. And so what I would say to people is if, you know, if you think you've missed out, you haven't. Did you miss out on the top eight stocks, which are heavily influencing the S&P 500? Yes, you probably did miss that, 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 that increase in 2023. That's okay. That's okay. There's lots of other opportunities to, to jump back in and, and to earn some great returns in equity and fixed income assets over the next 12 months. And I would encourage you as a client or as an investor to look ahead to those, to not necessarily worry about what happened in 2023, but to look to 20, 2024 and realize that there's a lot of opportunities to make money. Um, and we talk a little bit about this in the 2024 look ahead, um, but uh, we are at the beginning, we are just at the beginning of the next innovation cycle, which you know is driven by artificial intelligence and other things. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence is what we hear about the most, but there are advances in robotics. There's massive advances in um, biotechnology that is allowing personalized medicine, meaning you know, if I have a sickness, they're going to personalize it to my my genome as opposed to getting a pharmaceutical that's made for the mass public. Um, those those are those type of technologies are leaping ahead. Um, I know that the COVID nineteen vaccine, not a lot of people uh, or or some people had some real doubts about, but that technology mRNA is incredibly important. In fact, is being used right now to research whether they can kill cancer with it because of how it infects or how it accesses the, the cells that it needs to kill. Um, it's very, very promising technology. So there are so many innovations right now going on that there is some really fantastic opportunities to invest and to make outsized returns over the next five, 10 years. So I would encourage if you're if you're concerned, let's look out five years and see, do you think you're gonna be better off in five years than you are today? My guess is you are gonna be far better off than you, if you take that investment. Mm, beautiful. I think that's a perfect place to stop for today. Um, and as always, if you have any questions that you would like to hear us talk about on the podcast, um, any topics that you'd like to hear us talk about or any questions that you'd like to have answered, send them over. You can send them to me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at ExpansiveCEO.com um, for any podcast questions. And Brad, how can people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me uh, at... Uh... B Haynes, B H A I N E S at junctionwealth.com. Um, or you can email us at info at junctionwealth.com. And love to hear from you guys. Um, I've had a few people reach out and uh, it's been wonderful to correspond with you guys back and forth. So uh, appreciate it. Keep it coming and uh, really, really look forward to hearing from you guys. Well, thanks, Brad. Hopefully, we'll see you next week for the next installment of Investment Friday. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. 
And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive. <laughs>